My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed in appearance and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but becoming fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As they were about to part from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he did not know what he was saying. While he was still speaking, a cloud came and cast a shadow over them, and they became frightened when they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my chosen son. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They fell silent and did not at that time tell anyone what they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. What makes you fully awake and frightened? Friday afternoon, a group of members from the Newman Catholic Center at Montclair State, where I serve, and I were, were driving back from an area of Appalachia in eastern Kentucky, where we had been on a mission trip all week, helping an organization called the Christian Appalachian Project in rebuilding homes for people that were struggling to make ends meet in one of the poorest, neediest areas of our entire nations. And one of the, the many blessings was the partial social media and regular media fast that we were on just by being out there. And I don't think any of us realize how the 24-7 news cycle with one horrific, outrageous, gross story after another with people being able to amplify or share those things with their opinions, all the effect that that has on us mentally and spiritually, but a week away from that was incredibly refreshing and eye-opening. But with the 12 hours on the road in the van as we made our way back to New Jersey, very quickly, we all got caught up on the, the whole week as people were sharing each stories with each other as they were getting Wi-Fi service again. Oh my God, there was a terrorist attack in New Zealand at a mosque and 49 people were killed. Did you see the story about people with the scandal of how they got into college? Wait a minute, there was a plane crash? Did you hear about this athlete or this celebrity who killed themselves this week? So much senselessness and hatred and evil, so much 
sadness, so many things that can make you fully awake and frightened. Throughout the entire week, as we would travel to our work sites with different volunteers from around the country and sometimes have lengthy times in the car to travel together, we got to know each other. And even in the evenings, just spending time with, with people from our individual campuses, all of us got to kind of share some really personal challenges and things that people were struggling with. The illnesses of family and friends, the tensions and angers that they had to deal with at home or at work or at school that they were happy to leave for a week. He found that many of us have many things going on in our lives that keep us fully awake and frightened. And truth be told, a week earlier as we were leaving, I could have summed up my state of heart and mind in a similar condition, fully awake and frightened. There was the logistical concern that just was worried about the safety of driving with them for, for the time that we were going to be out to Kentucky and back. And I worry about our students on a, on a normal day, so on a, a mission trip like this, that's only intensified. But just couple that with my own personal doubts and worries and concerns that I carried, or sadly carry with me. I, will I be able to do what I'm being asked to do, my abilities or my effectiveness? Being fully awake and frightened, it stinks. And something tells me that that's not uncommon. People seem fully awake and frightened by a lot of things, whether they're real or imagined, and it can do a number on us. Just hearing this gospel story about the, the transfiguration of Jesus, where the glory and the, the divinity of Jesus is revealed on this mountaintop with his, his closest of apostles, it struck me that of all the reactions that there were possible for these three, Again, his closest apostles. The gospel describes them as fully awake and frightened. And to be fair, seeing Moses and Elijah, two of the, the greatest prophets from the Old Testament who had been dead for hundreds of years, and Jesus' appearance is becoming radiant, and hearing the voice of God the Father, that's not something that happens every day. But at the same time, Jesus had been with them for some time, preaching and teaching and healing in a multitude of ways. Why was this the reaction that they had? And even more, when they would recover from those feelings and begin to appreciate the glory so much so that they don't want to leave, why wasn't that enough to prevent them from becoming fully awake and frightened ever again? Especially when Jesus would go down to Jerusalem and experience his passion and death. And while we're at it, even more so, even after Jesus would rise from the dead and they would witness his resurrection and, and experience that and experience his ascension into heaven. I think it's because they're still susceptible to other voices. Voices of fear, of opportunism, of jealousy, of confusion that could constantly grab their attention and distract them and cause them to forget this and all the other things that they experienced when they would have a clear vision of Jesus and who he was and more importantly who they were and whose they were. Those other voices would make them second guess 
and doubt their decisions to follow Jesus, to put their faith and trust in him. Those other voices are so effective that even they would abandon Jesus. Some for a short time, like Peter, denying that he would even know Jesus during his trial and passion and crucifixion. Some more consequently, like Judas, who would betray him and would become so overcome with despair he would hang himself. It's not to beat up on the apostles, but rather it's a reminder to us of how common, how sadly ordinary and routine this is for humanity because of sin, to constantly suffer with things that will leave us fully awake and frightened. This moment of transfiguration for the the apostles, the encounters of the resurrected Christ after Easter, it's not going to remove their free will. They're going to have to wake up each and every morning and make a decision whether or not to hear the words of God the Father saying, this is my chosen son, listen to him. And when they do, they find they're able to find that strength and the courage they need to continue on and to overcome their personal trials and their struggles. They're going to find the the resources they need to preach and to teach and to go on mission to convert the world rather than to be converted by it. And when they fail and when they screw up, it's in remembrances of listening to him speak his words of peace and reconciliation and forgiveness that's going to create the path back for each of them. And so it is for us. We hear about this scene from the gospel every year on the second Sunday of Lent. And that's intentional in this, this time where we collectively as a church journey together on an annual retreat of sorts to evaluate where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ, where we want to or where we need to move in that relationship. And when we do that, we begin to see that space between where we are and where we want to be, how he's calling us to to deeper intimacy with him and to deeper relationship with him, calling us to deeper faith and trust in him, to speak to our needs here and now, but more importantly, that he wants to spend all eternity with us and us with him. And that was a reminder and one of the many gifts that I received on our mission trip to Appalachia. Seeing and hearing and experiencing myself the the difficulty of the physical labor of trying to assist in rebuilding homes and recognizing how God hadn't called us to fix everything and, and not to see ourselves as saviors to these people that we were serving. As I fell off a ladder, and others struggled with their other trials and, and challenges, whether it was how to use a hammer or just how to deal with some difficult people they were working with. We were definitely humbled to know that that wasn't the case. None of us were saviors at all. But we had recognized that Jesus had called us on mission and that all of us were able to overcome various challenges and obstacles in order to respond to that. And when we did, we met some of the most faithful, and sincere and authentic people that I've ever met. People whose struggles and whose problems and whose worries are just as real as any of ours, yet they didn't seem fully awake or frightened by them. 
They knew Jesus would answer their prayers as he had so many times before. They were prayerful and constantly saying the two most powerful words of prayer any human being can utter. Thank you. Whether it was these little children who sincerely hugged one of our students that they had just met a few days earlier, or another woman who baked cookies in the shapes of angels and gave them to other students, saying that they were her angels in fixing her home. The sincerity and genuineness of it was overwhelming. And we were able to see and experience the glory of Christ in our midst in a way that left, some, left us somewhat speechless. And more than a few of them saying, I don't want to leave. But in order for that joy of encounter to continue, like the apostles, we had to leave and share our stories to testify that these moments of encounter with Christ aren't limited. His glory isn't just revealed in secretive moments for a select few. The passion, death, and resurrection of Christ, which we've all been baptized into, is meant to transfigure us. And in Lent, we're invited to fix our eyes on Jesus more clearly and have our ears more open to him, recognizing how Jesus remains with us and he continues to speak to every one of us. And God the Father commands us to listen to him, to listen to him in the scriptures, listen to him in the Eucharist, called us to receive and become what we receive, Jesus himself. Listen to him calling us to see past our particular agendas or our own biases or our own ideologies. Listen to him who calls us to tremendous, albeit difficult, and in fact revolutionary love, which the world so often fails to embrace. To listen to him in the fears and the worries and the concerns that each and every human being carries, looking for our care and concern and our attention to relieve those things to, that keep them fully awake and frightened. To listen to him calling us to the difficult work of reconciliation ourselves between us and God and, and those that we struggle to offer forgiveness to. Listen to him. Those are the three words God the Father commanded the apostles and in this proclamation for us to do. And when they were spoken, St. Luke describes a scene that they were found with Jesus was found alone. If we obey the Father's command, we'll find that that's all we ever truly need. Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only 